you ready to press forward today? God's granted us another year, a new year to look into. We wonder sometimes what lays ahead, and we'd like to, you know, kind of pry back the curtain a little bit. But we only get one day at a time. So let's make this day count. Amen. Let's put our heart into what the Lord is doing in this hour and this time. And let's press on. Let's commit ourselves to running the last lap, to finishing this race. We have a responsibility because the baton's been handed to us. And we must finish. We must press with all our hearts, with everything that's within us. And if you're prodigal and away from God, well, you know, get in. Amen. There's, uh, there's still room. Amen. The token is still applied of the Holy Ghost. And right now, there's still a door open. So while we're here, before the death angel strikes, and before the whole thing ends, move in with all your heart and surrender your life completely. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Good to have the Ron Collies here. I mean all of them. Sister Rachel and uh, do I say, oh yeah, there's Monica there and well, all the kids are here. Jason and of course Philip. We love them all and Brother Jerry and Sister Phyllis have been pillars here in our church. Been a blessing to us through the many years and we're just grateful for them to be together here this morning. Brother Jerry's up for a surgery, and uh, the great physician is in charge. So we're looking to the Lord for complete and total deliverance. So let's go to prayer this morning. You've got a need in your heart and life. Just take it before the Lord right now and believe for him. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come before you, We've already sung the songs, Lord, that said that you said it and I believe it. Lord, I thank you for believers that are gathered here today. We're asking, Lord, for your grace upon our lives, Lord, your mercy that endures forever. Lord, that it would be applied to us today, to those that are in need. May you touch them. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to their hearts. Lord, for Brother Timothy ministering in Arizona today, I pray you pour out your spirit upon him and use him for your glory and bring him back safely. Every need of your children, Lord, just supply it. Those that are traveling and away today, Lord, may your hand of grace be upon them. Those that are sick, even down in the nursing home or wherever they're at, Lord, will you just meet with them? I ask God you'll just continue unfolding healing, oh God, to the Mayo family down in mobile that's touched them father and bring healing you're you're the almighty god you're bigger than any disease or situation and we can call you on the scene for our needs lord we thank you for your promise lord today for our brother jerry we know that you'll not forsake him that you're there with him even at this time ask lord that you'll minister now to every heart and life our brother kenny camp who would love to be with us Lord, but sickness has taken over his body. But may, Lord, revelation strike his heart today that says, I am the Lord that healeth thee of all thy diseases, that there is nothing too hard for our God. 
May that just revelation for, Lord, he knows you're a healer. He knows you're delivered, but may it come personally to him today. And the angel of God minister to him strength. I pray as we open the word, Lord, will you just reveal it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it's Jesus on the inside. Aren't you glad to have him on the inside? I'm so glad that he's on the inside of us. Well, it's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change is in my life. It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. that. Nathaniel, is that you I see up there? Well, welcome home, son. You and your new bride, we're happy to have you. Let's give everybody a hand clap for those who come today. God bless you. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. We're just looking for God to meet every need today. Amen. Whatever your need is, Brian and Misty, it's nice to have y'all too. God bless you. Each one of you that is assembled with us whether you're here or online, God bless you today. We're thankful to God for you and looking for his grace. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 9, and let's just look into the things of the Lord today. My, didn't we have a wonderful, wonderful New Year's uh, services there? Amen. I, I tell you, God has committed this message to faithful men. And we're so, it was wonderful to me to see young men take the message and have a zeal and an earnest desire to minister it and minister it with anointing and power. Amen. We certainly appreciated each one of their ministries. I was blessed, and I know you were blessed. And when you get blessed, well, I get blessed too. Amen. I, I tell you, I, I love um, good preaching, and I love it when it blesses you, and and I trust the Lord will just to just take the things that you heard and, and there and we'll just build on it through the new year and through the year to come, amen, as we opened up the year with wonderful services, may it just continue all the way through, amen. We're making, uh, we're, we're getting ready for youth camp coming up and uh, soon we'll be releasing uh, registration on that and uh, Unfortunately, we still don't have the adult facilities since the, the adult facility of White House burned. And um, so 
you know, we, uh, we uh, kind of have to make do at this moment. But it is what it is, and we're going to have service like we did last year, and have a good time in the Lord. Amen. So we just um, appreciate the Lord. Brother Donnie Reagan will be with us uh, for that meeting, and uh, also Brother Ron Spencer, his son, Brother Andrew. We're, we're going to have them again this year. I believe the Lord will just pour out his spirit in a very wonderful way. Amen. So get ready for it. Amen. Get prepared. And uh, we can start preparations right now, as far as I care, right in this service this morning. Amen. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to be speaking today on the promise of restoration renewed. You know, the Laodicean age has been a, an, an age of restoration. Actually, it started in 1906 with the restoration of the gifts. And, and they did, they believed that that was the promised restoration that God had promised in, in Joel chapter 2 and um, also, um, many other scriptures, and they looked at that and they believed for it. But, you know, God was not through in his restoration. So he would, he would bring it all the way down to the administration of the Son of Man and, uh, in the, and where the ministry of Christ was repeated again in this our day to bring about the restoration that is promised. And we are still in that great hour of restoration even this morning as we speak. Now, Sarah, as we open our, our scene with Sarah, she had long dismissed the promise that was given um, by God for Abraham. And she felt that she had solved that issue many years before when she uh, concluded that she was not the one to fulfill that promise. And she gave Hagar, the slave girl, to Abraham to fulfill. But in the dispensation of the Son of Man, when the angel came to Sarah, calling her by name, she had to face it, that it was not for someone else but for her. And this is what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to face it this morning that this restoration means me. Amen. It is for us. It is our day. It is our hour. It is our time. You see, she had believed a lie. And so is the church until there's been a great falling away, uh, even until this day. But God still declares, no matter what has happened, I'm going to restore. God never changes his mind about his word. He never abandons a project. Amen. So in the midst of a fallen way, there is also a restoration. You see, Sarah's story had to be changed. All these years, she had believed the wrong story. She had become faithful, uh, faithless and um, disillusioned and bitter. And sitting in her tent, she believed that the child of Abraham and the bondswoman uh, was the promised child. And she just accepted as fact that she was unable and that she didn't have enough faith to be changed. Because she was 65 when Abraham was 
uh, was given the promise of a son, and it took faith to believe it then, and she didn't have the strength to conceive, so she gave the high honors to a slave girl. And this same scenario has repeated over and over and over again. Through the ages, Luther was given a, um, a promise to bring forth Christ, but before he did, the Lutherans believed the wrong story. You see, they felt it was impossible to become a Book of Acts church. And as the delay went on, they gave it over to a bondswoman, a slave girl, and instead of a Book of Acts church, they produced an Ishmael, a wild man who, whose uh, hand was against every man a denomination under the bondage of men. And it wasn't long until Lutherans was just like the Catholics that they came out of. And, you know, it led by men instead of being led by the Holy Ghost. You see, this has happened throughout the Reformation over and over and over again. The promise given, the promise rejected. You know, believe in the wrong story. So that the only thing that was produced was another system of bondage, enslaving souls of men, and another denominational system. Now, the first age fell by believing the wrong story. You see, the supernatural was pushed out and, you know, was taken over by intellectualism. Just like Sarah did by the bondswoman and her son. You know, here that this child was born and this woman now is the, um, the mother of the, of the heir. And uh, Sarah is basically resigned to the tent. And uh, it seemed that um, Hagar and her son were now the heir of the promise. And Sarah now is an old woman. And she no longer felt Abraham's embrace. The love affair that they had as a young couple no longer existed. You see, she even said so when she laughed and said, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? You know, the love affair is over with. Now that they were old, they no longer kissed one another good night. They no longer slept in the same bed. They, she had her tent, Abraham had his tent. There was no more pleasure in marriage. That's like the church that has lost its first love. There is no more hallelujahs, no more glories to God. There's no more feeling of the warmth of his presence. There's no more hearing his voice in the middle of the night and with prophecies and foretelling and giving assurance. You know, the closeness is gone. It used to come down as a pillar of fire. Oh, I remember the romance. Why, it was a love affair that tears would come down the cheeks of the saints and the shadow of the king was in the midst. I remember the closeness when men and women were led by the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and why God would show visions or manifest himself in dreams. And why sometimes we'd pray all night. He would come down and he would heal our sick or he would cast out devils. And they, you know, for demons couldn't stay in his presence. He was our comforter. He was our prince. He was the joy of our heart. But that's now a day past. It's just not the season for that. God doesn't do that anymore. We're past that. We're past that age. And we, we're now going on. And we're more mature. We're so mature that the marriage is only paper. Because the spark 
is now gone. The joy is diminished. The hope is lost and not of that faith left to heal a toothache. You see, you know, Sarah smirks and says, that which is perfect has come. You see, we already have an Ishmael. It's, it's a more excellent way. And I may resign myself to sit in the tent and just wait for death. Now, that's what some are saying to us today. Act like old people. That all the church should do, Sarah, act your age. You're an old woman. Quit acting like they did in the book of Acts church. You're a mature church now. You're grown up. You know better than to act like youngsters. Yeah, you did that when you were young, when you were immature, but you don't do that now because you're an old woman and your love affair is over. And all you got left is bitterness and coldness in your tent. And you might as well resign yourself to thinking and knowing the promised son will never come to you. It's already come. It's all over with. And your love affair is over. No more getting drunk in the spirit. That's for the immature. You're too old for that. <laughs> Your old bones would creak and pop. Could you imagine that? No more gifts. I mean, you can almost smirk, you know, when you think about that old woman dancing. You know, no more gifts from the Spirit. The romance is over. Why those gifts from the Spirit are so insignificant. They're only toys. They're just trinkets. An old woman doesn't need to dress up. She's just going to stay in her old tent. She ain't got no purpose. There's no plan for her. She's just this, you know, overripe fig that's uh, too ripe for picking. See, the church, Brother Bradham said, is now engaged. It's like a man engaged his wife. Why does he do? What does he do when they're engaged? He's just bestowing all things, sending presents, making her feel good. Well, that's what Christ is doing in his church. He's sending us gifts of the Spirit. How can you be an engaged then when you are denying these gifts exist? They're the very love tokens. It's God's tokens to the church. Jesus said so. These signs shall follow them that believe. Remember, that is our commission. And that is the commission we must step into. And especially those of us who have received the opening of the seven seals, which brought back the gospel of Jesus Christ so that this gospel can be preached in all the world and demonstrated by the preaching of the gospel. And then shall the end come. Well, that was for the church when the church was immature. You remember when we was in love, Abraham gave gifts. He'd bring in, you know, little tokens of love and appreciations and, you know, just things to make you feel good. You know, but that's when we were just immature. And Brother Branham says the church must believe every word, every promise, every iota and claim it for themselves and exercise themselves in it. 
said, if I was engaged to a girl and I was a single man and I sent her something, an engagement ring, and she wouldn't wear it, then that, that shows she doesn't believe me. She doesn't want to be my bride. And if Christ sends the church the gifts that he promised and they refuse them and say they're not so, they don't want to be the bride of Christ. They are espoused to some other lover and not to Christ, the bridegroom. So the real church keeps the promise and keeps and accepts the gifts that God sends them. That's the real church. That's the restored church. But you know, Sarah is in such, she's believed the wrong story so long. Until she'll laugh in the face of God and just say, I've accepted it as fact that the days of miracles are past. That only happened in the Branham meetings. You know, I, I, I you know, you know, I, I would actually, I would need divine healing to be changed to receive a son. And I'm not going to some tent revival. I, I ain't going, there ain't going to be no revival in my tent. Our church is too old. I mean, mature for that. I, you know, we're just too mature. You know, that love affair was to never end. You see, the promise of power, which was to the apostles, that was endued at Pentecost, he said, is to you Jews and to your children, Jews, and to them that are far off, Gentiles, and to as many as the Lord our God shall call, both Jew and Gentile, until he stops calling, the Pentecostal message and power will not cease. Amen. And if you believe your prophets, that's his word. Amen. But, but you see what happened? The story of the church was turned by Nicolaitan spirit. Somewhere she stopped believing. She stopped believing this was for her. And that the power that she received at Pentecost was for her. She stopped believing. The son of Agar was resistant to the promised restoration. And when it came, he mocked and he made fun of it. He persecuted Isaac. And that spirit will always make fun and persecute the supernatural. Brother Branham tells us in the church age book, no matter how just or upright a Christian is, doing before the public and how gracious he is to his fellow man, do not but good, but let him confess Christ as a savior and acknowledge the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in tongues, prophecies, healing, miracles, he will be condemned. The spirit of the world hates the spirit of God because it can't overcome the spirit of the Lord. It tries to destroy the vessel in whom the spirit of truth dwells. Now, this is Brother Brandon's prayer as he approached the church ages. And as he moves into his commission, you know, because it's not until the church ages that he ever refers to Malachi 4, the Elijah prophet, and turns to that scripture and shows us that Elijah was to come to bring a restoration. And so the first thing he does is he preaches the church ages. I want you to know that was supernatural. It had to be supernatural. There was, it was written in the Bible, his seven stars. You know, seven, seven stars, seven golden candlesticks, uh, uh, seven, church, uh, or seven churches. And, and it took a revelation from God that would come to the prophet 
to identify those messengers and the ages. So, you know, under the prophet Elijah there, you know, by vision, we were able to understand where we have come from. Starting out in the first days and then how it declined and it went down and it come back up and comes all the way to the end where that the alpha is the omega. And the grain that was planted at the beginning is the grain that's at the end. Now, Brother Branham, as he prayed, as he approached those church ages, he said, may during this meeting cause men and women to take a new hold newly. May you raise up speakers with tongues, interpreters of tongues. May you raise up gifts of prophecy, raise up preachers and pastors, evangelists, and so forth that the church might be edified. Raise up missionaries to go in the field yonder and bring forth this glorious gospel. Where the word shall go, may it fall into good ground, bringing forth a hundredfold, for we believe we're at the end of the age and the consummation is near. Now, that's what his desire was for the church, what he asked God for, for this last age. Today, we have too many lectures in the pulpit, and God is not in it. Lectures are men who can stand up and explain the word in such a way it's just breathtaking, but it's just a lecture. It's just an educational talk. It is the mechanics without dynamics. You see, it's just what they call today a TED Talk. That means technology, entertainment, and design. By the way, a TED Talk, you know, it's just, um, it's just kind of a, a nice little talk of, of uh, inventions and things that are going on, and it's informative and whatever, but it's a lecture. And the gospel was never intended to be in the hands of lecturers but men that are called by God and anointed by God. Amen. This is what we want to see when we, when we hear a minister preach. We want to see there is anointing with that and that signs follow that ministry. Now, Brother Branham, Brother Branham told us, you know, what Satan would do. He said, Satan, you'll get in it to try to make it all mechanics, that's the word, and no dynamics. Back all dynamics and no mechanics. But we got to put it together. We've got the, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit, but we got to come back with the word to feed this machine. We can't feed it on creed. It won't burn it. It chokes up the blues. It will not burn it. It was made for the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So you see, again, Satan gets in it to make it one way or the other. You know, just all mechanics and no dynamics are all dynamics, which is cranking on the engine. Well, we got spark. Somebody shouting and dancing, but they can't run down the road to deliverance. Oh, we got all mechanics. We got the car all polished and looking nice, filled with gas, and it's got octane power in it, but no spark. It's got to have both to produce deliverance. Amen. 
Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to criticize and say, well, I tell you, I saw some of them jump and shout and whatever and go out and live like devils. Well, I've seen some of them get so intellectual too and have all kinds of knowledge of the word and go out and live like devils. Pot can't call kettle black. It takes a worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. We, we don't want dynamics just cranking on the machine without the mechanics, without the word. Amen. You got to have both of them. But we don't want just all word, 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 and you can't even crank the engine. No spark. It don't go nowhere. And it, neither one of those deliver. Now, but Brother Branham said, there ought to be a holy power surrounding and in the church that will make demons flee. And instead of that, it's become a laughingstock. What is it? Mechanics instead of the dynamics. Now, I want to just turn over to Revelation 2.14 for a moment, and then we'll look at an earlier scripture in Revelation 2 also in the Ephesian age. But let's just kind of review a few things here. Thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Notice this. He said, I have a few things against you because there has, has there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat up things sacrificed in the idols and to commit fornication. So now, Again, we already spoke about Nicolaitanism. We'll go and define that a little more here in a moment. But now you just can't have a, and I'm quoting from the church age book, you just can't have a Nicolaitan set up in the church and not have this other doctrine, the doctrine of Balaam, come in too. You see, if you take away the word of God and the moving of the spirit as a move means of worship, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Then you will have to give the people another form of worship as a substitute. And substitution spells Balaamism. So watch now. You, if you take away the word of God and the moving of the spirit. See, they got to be both of them together. Now, listen, church. This is what separates us from Azusa Pentecost because they had spirit without word. Amen. Now, of course, you know, to have word without spirit, you're just as bad as them. Except you, you're probably a couple of church ages behind them over in the Baptist or Methodist. So now you see, but if you, if you take away this word and the spirit, the movement of the spirit as meaning of worship, then you have to give the people another form of worship as a substitute. And this is Balaamism that works hand in hand with Nicolaitanism. Now, in the, again, as he said, so Israel came up to the borders of Moab sent messengers to the king saying, we're brothers, let us pass through your land. If our people, our animals eat or drink anything, we'll gladly pay for it. But King Balak got very excited. That head of that Nicolaitan bunch 
was not about to let the church come through with its signs and wonders and diverse manifestations of the Holy Ghost with their faces shining with the glory of God. It was too risky as he might lose some of his crowd. So Balak refused to let Israel pass through. In fact, so great was his fear of them that he went to a hireling prophet called Balaam and asked him to mediate between him and God and petition the Almighty to curse Israel and render them impotent. And Balaam, being eager to take part in political affairs, become a great man, was only too glad to do that. But seeing he had to approach to and receive an audience from God to get the people cursed, as he could not do that by himself, he went to ask God if he could have permission to go. Now, isn't that just like the Nicolaitans we have with us today? They curse everyone that won't go their way. So Balaam went down and he set up seven altars for the seven clean beasts of sacrifice. He killed a ram signifying the coming of the Messiah. He knew what to do to approach him to God. He had the mechanics just right, but not the dynamics as now. Can't you see it, Nicolaitans? There was Israel down there in the valley offering the same sacrifice, doing the same things, but only one had signs following. Only one had God in their midst. Forms won't get you anywhere. It can't take place. It can't take the place of spirit manifestations. That's what happened at Nicaea. They put Balaam's doctrine, not the doctrine of God. They put Balaam's over Balaam's doctrine, not the doctrine of God. They stumbled, yea, they fell. They became dead men. Now, understand the dynamics is the Holy Ghost. When it came originally, it did not come word only, neither did it come spirit only, but it was the word being manifested, displayed. Amen? Now, Peter would immediately say, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. So he said, it's the scripture being made alive. It's the spirit quickening, or the, the spirit quickening the word. And this is what you're seeing, this word becoming flesh. Now, so again, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. So now here's how the gospel is. It comes not just word, but it's also coming with power and in the Holy Ghost. So it comes with a display of the power of God. That's how we know it's the word because otherwise it's just a creed or a dogma, even though it's quoting scripture. Remember Satan quoted scripture. He quoted quotes. Amen. And he lined up his quotes to get Jesus to disobey God. And the spirit of God wasn't in it. Come on, church. Amen. Now, and it is the rising of the sun. He said, you can do nothing without me. But with me, you can do all things. As he is the word, is the father living. 
The Father sent me, so send I you as the Father fired me and pushed me into everything. I do that only that which is pleasing to God. So as he sent me, so send I you with the same mechanics and it takes the same dynamics to operate it and these signs shall follow them that claim to have the mechanics. The dynamics will take its place. So if we claim to have the mechanics, the word... The dynamics got to take its place with the word. Paul said the gospel came not but to us in word only, through gasoline only, but through spark also to make it move. There you are. It came to us in that manner. And as I said, it'll make the car move down to divine healing, to an overcoming life. Amen. To salvation, to receiving the Holy Ghost, to any promise of God. It'll make that car move down to it. Amen. Now, but I want to get this to you, church, so that you are fully assured as God would impart to us some of the last things by the, by the seventh angel messenger. He would speak as John 14, where Jesus, leaving his disciples, said, I go to prepare a place for you. And Brother Brandon would preach a sermon, things that are to be. This is what you can expect. You know, I'm leaving here, but you can expect here. You can expect this to happen, things that are to be. And I believe he said, that's the same thing we live in today. God bearing record of his word, vindicating what he said he would do. Now we know this is the day of salvation. Where God is calling men from the world, from a life of sin to a life of service. And in the day that God has poured out his spirit from on high, great signs and wonders are to accompany the ministry of this day. Amen. This is when the former and latter rain are falling together. And we know there's supposed to be great signs and wonders, which in many great denominations, this is turned down. But I'm thankful for these open doors like I've had to get into. And the inspiration is given to young men like your pastor here that calls him as I'm beginning to get old and know my days are numbered and know that these young men can take this message and sweep it on to the coming of the Lord if he doesn't come in my generation, which I'm hoping to see him. I look daily for him. watch keeping myself prepared for that hour. Now, so again, this is what he expected not only for his day, but to follow in young men who would sweep it on to the coming of the Lord. Amen. Now, of course, you know, it would be a time where great signs and wonders were that he would say, former and latter rain fallen together. Great signs and wonders to accompany the ministry of this day. This must be what is happening in the bride of Jesus Christ. She is to be a renewed woman with renewed faith, a people who the promise of restoration has been accepted and is renewed in them and is causing a renewal in their life. Are you with me now? All right. Now, so there again, you know, first love. You know, a child comes from love. You mean me and Abraham are going to have a love affair again? Well, let's just talk about it for a minute. Let's see how the church became like Sarah in the tent. 
old, disillusioned, having forgot the promise, believed the wrong story. Because church, this is our condition. This is where the church has been through many, many years. They believed the wrong story. They believed a lie. I mean, come on, you, I, I can take you easily and just show you Trinity. The Trinitarian doctrine, what did they do? They believed the wrong story. Somebody distorted the story. And they believed a lie. And that lie today will damn you. If you don't turn from it. Come on. We have to come back and believe in one God again. Because we got a one God Bible. Amen. We're a one God people. Now, first of all, as we look at this, we're going to see how Sarah kind of fell out of love, you know. And you turn with me to uh, Revelation 2 and 1, and we'll read from there. And as we're going in here, I want you to just think, is it Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus means to let go, relax, backslidden. They were called by God the backslidden church. God acknowledged first their works, their labor, their patience. He rebuked their, their, their living for, or leaving their first love for backsliding, for no longer bearing light. Ephesus was not a deceived church. It failed itself by not continuing in perfect love. Now, so as we look here in Revelation 2 and 1, I want to just, as we have prefaced it, we're going to talk about the angel to the church of, Le- of Ephesus, right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlestick. And of course, that was Christ. And he walks through every age. And he's walking in this age today. Don't let nobody mess your mind up. We're here in the Laodicean age where Christ is still walking among his people. Now, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and I know thou cannot bear them which are evil, and they have tried them that say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars, and you've born and had patience, and for my name's sake, and uh, you have labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. So she's already a fallen woman. And repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, you know, he said, he said, this is what I got against you. You've left your first love. Here Sarah was, and she says, there's no love affair anymore, and it ain't possible. That's the condition of the end-time church. That was what was happening here as the falling away began. They lost their first love. Notice, but there was also among them 
deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, I'm going to take some snippets from uh, the Ephesian church age, not the church age book, but as Brother Branham preached it, and I'm just going to share with you just some one-liners here that I've, I have picked out of this first love. He said, but there's something I got against you that that is you have left your first love. You left the love you have had for them good old-fashioned Holy Ghost meetings. And you begin to kind of slide backwards into that formal come in with our Father. And then he said, what did you do? You lost your, first, lost your first love. Oh, you couldn't get on them corners with a tambourine to clap their hands and praise God. Oh, no. Oh, too formal. They can't say amen no more. My goodness, it'd break up some of their makeup. If God had that against this church, he's got against, he's got against that church, that one too. Because you have left your first love, I got it against you. I have something against you. That's my complaint. You once had a great time, but you let the world creep in, and you got to act in a little formal. Oh, mercy, what we need is back to our first love, back to Pentecost. Not Azusa Street now. Pentecost. You see, you see it started out like a figure when the seal was open, it showed the Antichrist spirit coming in as a spirit that looked like Christ riding on a white horse, which should represent purity and holiness, but it was an insidious spirit that began to come in and begin to, and to, begin to conquer to conquer the laity. Now, again, in the second seal, Brother Branham tells about this. He said this horse rider went forth as, as we backgrounded it till we hit the seal. Notice this white horse rider. When he went out, he serves in three stages. The devil, as I proved to you the other night, is in a trinity like God, but it's the same devil all the time in three stages. Notice in his stages. In the first stage, he come in, the Holy Ghost fell, and people had everything in common. And the Spirit of God was upon them, and the apostles went from house to house, breaking bread with the people, and there was great signs and wonders wrought. And the first thing you know, the Satan began to cause a murmur to come up, and then after a while, those slaves and the poor of the land would have received the Holy Ghost. They went out into different places testifying and testified to their masters. And after a while, they began to come in, all like army captains and different people, the celebrity, see the gallantry and the miracles and the signs that these men had done. So they accepted Christianity. Well, you see, when... When these army captains and bosses and so on accepted, embraced Christianity, you know, and go down there to a place where they're meeting in a little old dark dingy hall, clap their hands and shout, speaking in tongues and getting messages while he can never take to that, that to his competitor or, his, or he said or whatever he is, his associate in business. He would, he, he'd never believe it like that, certainly not. So he's got to dress it up. 
So notice what the Antichrist spirit wants to do to the church. He wants to refine it. You know, he wants to make it where there's nothing happening in the laity. There's no shout of the king in their midst. He wants to make it where that there is no manifestation of the Holy Ghost there. The only manifestation of the Holy Ghost can be in the pulpit. So he's got to dress it up. So in this, he goes on the second seal. So they get together and begin to think, well, we'll form something a little different. Jesus said immediately at the first church age, I have, he got said something. He told them in the second chapter of Revelation here, I've got somewhat against you because the deeds of the Nicolaitan, Nico, conquer the laity. In other words, instead of everybody be one, they want to make some holy fellow. They want to make it some kind of, they want to pattern it in paganism from where they come out of and they finally done it. And first, Nicolaitan, Nicolaitan's called in the Bible Antichrist because it was against the original doctrine of Christ and the apostles. Now, Brother Branham immediately goes in to give us a modern example of a Nicolaitan. So the next paragraph, he tells us, I don't want to call the man's name. He's a great man, but I was at his meetings a few years ago, so this is a first-hand account. He said, I shook his hand, and he said, you know, we have such today that call they call Pentecostals, and he said, they rely upon the book of Acts. And he said, you see, Acts was only scaffold work for the church. Now, would you imagine a man that studied the Bible, a gallant old man studied the Bible the way this fellow has, and would remark a remark like that. It doesn't even sound like the Holy Spirit is around. It's got, to, it's got not to be nowhere. So this was a lecture. Because anybody with common understanding would know that the acts of the apostle was not the acts of the apostles. It was the acts of the Holy Spirit in the apostles. Amen. Now, Brother Branham tells his story on several occasions. At one one place he said, I went and I spoke to the man and said, that was a great sermon. But he said, I just want to remind you, the scaffold is needed till the last piece is put on the, on the building. And he said, as long as God is calling, we still need the book of Acts. We still need the scaffold work to put that at the top, if it's at the very top spire. So to put the capstone on the church, which is the physical, literal return of Jesus Christ, we will need the the scaffold work. We will need the apostolic way. Right down to the end, to the finishing stone. Now, today, we have some, we have the same Alexander Campbell Church of Christ doctrine that's being preached in message pulpits. Excuse me just a minute a little bit. That ain't right, but we'll get another microphone. But we're going to work with this. Today we have the same type. Everybody's heard of the Church of Christ today. They're not Church of Christ. They're Church of the Antichrist. 
And the reason I say that, because they're anti-anointing. Christ means the anointing. And if there ever was a group of people against miracles, healing, deliverance, signs, wonders, everything, it's the, what is called the Church of Christ. It's uh, that, the Christian church, the Church of Christ. Anyway, it's a move started by Alexander Campbell. Brother Branham called them Campbellites. These are the same, the same sermon that Dr. Best preached. Brother Branham said he preached a good old Campbellite sermon that in the millennium we'll have healing, but we don't have it now. That it ain't for today. So, you know, they withstood him all the way to the end. Brother Branham, with every breath he had, fought against this spirit. And I want to say it's now being preached in message pulpits. Amen. Against the anointing, against the move of the Holy Spirit, against the works of God. You see, and, and, it, and it's taught, here's the teaching, that since the word was restored and we now have that which is perfect, the perfect word, that, and it's come, then that which is in part is done away with. This is nothing more than the Campbellite doctrine. So they say they've worked their way around. Well, we're not going to have a book of Acts church. We're going to have another book of Acts, and it's not going to be like that one. Verse 6 that we read, but this thou hast, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to be like them, hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We don't hate people, but we hate the deeds. The thing, the thing that, that is to conquer the laity. Nico, Brother Branham said, which means to conquer or overthrow. Nicolaitans overthrow or conquer the laity. What they were trying to do here was trying to take the church where God had pastors and the spirit of God moving by gifts in the, in the church of the living God. That God said he hated, he hates it yet today. Nicolaitans, Nico overcome, overthrow the laity. The laity is a church. How many knows the laity is a church? All right, overthrow or conquer uh, and take the place of the laity. In other words, take all the sacredness, all the power from the church and put it on the priest or the preachers. Let the congregation live the way it wants to, but the priest is the holy one. Isn't that about the way it is? You know, yeah, we expect the preacher to live holy and do right. But, you know, you, you got you to gotta have your, your problem with porn. You know, you can't help it. It's just your humanity. But, you know, somehow we got a, an elite class that, oh, they can live right. They're the ones adopted, by the way. They're the ones that's mature and, and, and whatever. But you, you, you underlings, you just can't do it yet. Power hadn't come for you to live right. Now, so he said, he said here, put it on them, taking the Holy Ghost away from the people with signs and wonders following them and take it away and give them a holy priesthood, taking away the Holy Ghost and swapping it for a priesthood. That it is today, only preachers, 
Only the priest can live an overcoming life because the Holy Ghost is taken away from the people. You see, you know, you can't help but stumble and fall and make a big mess of yourself because you ain't adopted yet. And when you get adopted, well, you'll be sealed and you won't do that no more. But until that comes, you're just in a mess. And we don't know when that's going to be or how it happens. But it'll come someday. What about you, preacher? Oh, we're already adopted. But Brother Branham said, where is the first love you once had? Mm -hmm. Where is that joy you used to have? As David once cried, oh, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Where are them all night prayer meetings, the tears on your cheek? Take out of the church the resurrected Lord Jesus with signs and wonders among the believers. An overseer trying to take the Holy Ghost away from the lady. I'm, I'm talking, I'm using these snippets of what he's talking. He's explaining how that preachers do by, like Balaam, substituting substituting something instead of the power of God by the word. Are you with me now? So you see, Satan knows. Satan knows that if he can just get you to substitute an acts to experience with just accepting the message, he knows he's got you defeated that you'll never rise above your sins. You'll never be an overcomer. There'll never be healing in the church and miracles and signs and wonders and gifts of the spirit because all you have is an intellectual knowledge. Mechanics without dynamics. Satan knows assuredly the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action is the true church that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. So, you know, Sarah's over in the tent. Looked like the story's false. Story of her ever having a child, that's history. It ain't gonna happen. I, I had it here. This Ishmael, this Ishmael move is all, all the life, all the power. You see, like in the Catholic church, you see, they, they took it and made it where, placed it upon a priesthood where the priest held the Holy Ghost in his hand, a wafer, and you take the Holy Wafer, stick out your tongue, put it on you. He puts it on you. See, the Holy Ghost comes from the preacher. And it's applied from the preacher to your tongue, and there you receive the Holy Ghost. Protestant, same way. Come down the altar, join the church. Put your name on a book and shake hands with the preacher. Again, it's a preacher administering the Holy Ghost instead of having a personal experience with God yourself. Now, the message, sit in your seat. Don't dare come to an altar and snot and cry. And have godly sorrow for your sins. Just make your confession of faith in the message and the prophet, and you got the Holy Ghost. Now, 
In many, I, I, I want to just say this, in many message churches today, this is sad, but there's no further step ever taken than water baptism. No subsequent baptism of the Holy Ghost. No experience. And marriage and divorce, Brother Bantam says this, he is a place where God has put his name, the only place to worship. You're not a Christian because you're a Protestant. You're not a Christian because you're Catholic. You're not a Christian because you're Methodist, Baptist, or Pentecostal. And let me inject this part. You are not a Christian because you're a message believer. You are a Christian because you have been baptized into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Listen to him now. Not by water. There is one Lord, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and that is Holy Spirit baptism. Water baptism inducts you into fellowship. The Holy Spirit baptism inducts you into Christ. There is the truth. So water baptism inducts you into fellowship, the fellowship of the church. Amen. But, but he said, uh, the, but then the Holy Spirit in uh, baptism inducts you into Christ. So you see, there must be something that follows baptism. Water baptism into, is not the end all. Now, Brother Branham's laboring on this Nicolaitan there in the Ephesian age. And he says, God help me to make this real. A bunch of Christians in a church like this. Now, he points out his own church. A bunch of Christians just like you. They got formal and indifferent and pulled off and set themselves up an organization. And then united in the dark ages with the state. Now, remember, it didn't have any papers. It was only a spirit of organization. And then in the, the state and the church become what? Christian church, holy Catholic church is the word Catholic means universal. The great universal Christian church. And call the people that spoke in tongues and shouted and healed the sick and so forth heretics. So I want you to look at this. He said it started out with a bunch of Christians just like this. They got formal and indifferent and pulled off. All message believers. Amen. All listening to tapes. All of them saying, Branham, Branham. <laughs> Amen. And, and you know, they, they got indifferent and, and formal. And then they began to call the people that spoke with tongues and shouted and healed the sick heretics. And finally made it so constraining until anybody was caught worshiping that way was thrown in the lion's den that they wouldn't embrace Catholicism. And that went on for these hundreds of years back there, like uh, that of persecution. And that church never died. You can't kill it. God said it would live to the end. And he's given a crown of life. So I'm going to tell you, I'm warning you, devil, you can't kill us. You can't stop us. There's going to be an end time people. No matter how impossible it looks. Hallelujah. No matter how long the promise has been delayed. God promised a restoration. There'll be a people who are changed by this message and restored back to the original. That's 
what the message does. That's what the Son of Man came to do. Then he says, then it come Martin Luther to continue the age, and he swung the church out under justification. What happened when Luther died? They organized and made a Lutheran church. They got a doctrine. When they organized it, what they do? It gave birth right back into Romanism again. Then come Wesley and Whitfield and George Whitfield and many others and Asbury. and Many of them was great revivalists. They saved the world in that day. They had a revival in that Philadelphian age that saved England and the United States too. They had meetings where they were kicked out and called holy rollers. You Methodists was done that. They'd throw, they'd fall in the floor under the power of God and they would throw water in their face and fan them. That's right. And they jerked so hard till they said they had the jerks. And they, there was people who would jerk and shake under the power of the Holy Ghost. That's Methodist history. From there come the Quakers and so forth. And now they organized it. Now notice, they organized a movement against the Holy Ghost. And put it all the Holy Spirit upon the clergy where they were to administer the Holy Ghost in a formal way of believing. When you believe what I say is the truth, you have the Holy Ghost. So again, it is the clergy controlling who receives the Holy Ghost. And it's not an experience with you and God alone. It's you and a minister as you agree to what he says. Then you have the Holy Spirit if you receive my doctrine. So you see, instead of experience God for yourself, then the Holy Ghost becomes something administered by the clergy instead of an experience coming down upon you of the Holy Ghost. Now, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans was a false revelation. It was not with the word, and, and they called them liars. They called them false apostles and false prophets. So the true church held on to the original teaching of St. Paul and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with signs following and confirming the word that Paul taught. Amen. Show me where God will ever confirm the word of sprinkling. Now he starts with different words that the clergy is teaching. And he's, he said, now let's see if God will confirm that. So he said, show me where God will ever confirm the word of sprinkling. Show me where God will ever confirm and bring speaking in tongues and great things just by shaking hands with the pastor somewhere or putting your name on a book and still chewing, smoking, drinking, lying, telling lies, a card party is having a little fun, going, oh, mercy, that's carnal, false prophet, friends. So it produces no cure for sin, only treatment for sin. You see, some psychology, some encouraging words, just a pat on the back, a little prayer, told to grow a little more. Hey, it ain't working. People are still in porn, still feeding on movies, still telling, continue telling lies. You hear me? The question came up in the Bible, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Said the prophet, then why is the disease of my daughter not healed? What's the matter with the church? What's the matter? We got 
too many old sick churches because we have had quack druggists. And now, even in their message, they're giving out the prescription wrong. Now, what did this prescription say? You know what it said. Peter, he was given the keys, right? Amen. Given the keys to the kingdom. He's got the ink pen to write the prescription. Amen. Peter, you're going to write it. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the prescription, the keys to the kingdom. And he said, when they heard this, all noised abroad, this was screaming and shouting, speaking in tongues and, and having such a time. They said, these men are full of new wine. And Peter said, these are not full of new wine, as you suppose, seeing this third hour today. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It'll come to pass in the last day. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And upon my hands made my maidservants will I pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. I'll show signs in the heavens above and the earth below. Fire and smoke and vapor. And shall come to pass it. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And furthermore, what he said say about David, uh, the patriarch David foresaw it. He saw, said, moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because he'll not leave my soul in hell. Neither will he suffer his holy one to see corruption. Let me speak to you, brethren, of patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us to this day. But he being a prophet saw the resurrection of Christ. Let it be known to you that this Jesus whom you have crucified with wicked hands hath made God hath made him both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said men and brethren or Dr. Simon Peter write us a prescription how can we get this We want a cure for sin. Now watch him, what he said. And you'll find out where the church has got off track. Wait a minute. I'm going to write you a prescription. It's going to be an eternal prescription. It'll be for you, to your children, to them that are far off. That as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. And he said, what did he say? How did he fix it? How did Peter fix or prepare the prescription? Hmm. Think of it. Day of Pentecost, repent. How are you going to get this experience of, that looks like new wine? How are you going to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Ghost as a gift. The person will come unto you. Come on, church. Amen. And this is your promise. Right as many as the Lord our God shall call to the last one called, that eternal prescription is in effect. How did he fix it? He said, like the Catholics did it. He said, you know, they fixed up a prescription with infant baptism. You know, you don't, you, you, uh, you're born into the Catholic church by natural birth. So you're born into the church. And then, of course, at communion, when you take the wafer, you receive the Holy Ghost. That's how they prepare the prescription. Does it bring life? Does it cure sin? No. You know, he says, like the Baptists have it, like the Methodists have it. So the Methodists and Baptists, they fixed it. When the Methodists got ashamed of the emotion, listen to me, 
And they wanted to dress up the church. They wanted to, you know, make it a little more refined and a little more, you know, acceptable to everybody. I mean, this screaming and falling out under the spirit and, and jerking under the power. We can't have that happening in our meetings. So they began to fix a prescription. And the, they, 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 when they got ashamed of motion, Brother Brandon said, those Methodists that fell on the floor and they throwed water in their face from the Spirit striking them through sanctification. And so they fixed it. We don't need the Spirit. Just join the church. Just shake hands with the preacher and make a confession of faith. And that became their prescription. But it doesn't keep them from the death angel. Look what's happening in Methodism today. Look at the right in their pulpits, women preachers, lesbians, homosexuals, every kind, and in the pews. They, they can't keep from sinning. They even preach you can't stop sinning because they have no sin cure because they have messed with the prescription. They are quack druggist. Will you say amen to that? Now, Brother Branham said, every one of them has added something or taken something from it. Like the Pentecostals, they added or took away. And we know what they did. They added a requirement to speak with tongues until they forced their members to speak with tongues. And when, when some couldn't, they just taught them how. Pentecostals took the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost of speaking in tongues. They got them down the altar and made them say something over and over until they spoke in tongues. They, and so they took again a creed, a dogma, over receiving the person of Christ. And again, it was something controlled and imparted by the ministry who would teach you how to receive the Holy Ghost by having you jabber words. Now, the message people hadn't been so squeaky clean either. I'm coming down to home now. Oh, we have a restored truth. And our truth, the restored truth is now receiving the Holy Ghost without sensation. That's what it is. So, you know, it's without feeling. It's without anything happening. You know, you don't know when it comes. You don't, you just, you just believe what we're preaching is the truth. So it's again Nicolaitanism administering the Holy Ghost. You know, you, you, hear, him, you hear him say, oh, the Jews, the Jews did receive it with emotion, but that's not how the Gentiles received it. They say, well, the Gentiles, they received the Holy Ghost as Peter spoke this word without any emotion. Now, that ain't Bible. That's preached from pulpits, but that ain't Bible. Let me read what the Bible said about the house of Cornelia and the Gentiles and when it went to them. 
And while Peter spoke these words, Acts 10, 44, while Peter spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as come with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So it didn't come without sensation to the Gentile, without feeling, without anything happening. You see, that is not, listen, listen to me. I want you to be very careful how you hear this. That is not a restored truth. That is a demonic, Nicolaitan dogma of the Baptist, Methodist, Catholic Church of Christ. That is their dogma that you receive the Holy Ghost without sensation. You just believe and you got it. You don't need a sensation. No experience with God is necessary. You just receive our creed. You just receive our belief. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he say he's the Savior of the world. You got the Holy Ghost when you believe it. And we bring it right down to the message, the same old demonic doctrine. And say, while you hear the word preached, while this doctrine is going forth, right in your seat, you're getting the Holy Ghost. And the evidence is because you believe the word. That I'm saying. So again, we have Nicolaitan in the pulpits. In message pulpits. Now, you see where... This puts us, it puts the, spirit, the power of the Spirit under the administration of a preacher. When, as he releases his doctrine, you get the Holy Ghost. Instead of receiving the Spirit yourself through the administration of the Spirit coming to you as an individual, as you yield yourself to it. But I want you to say that that is a quote, at least a partial quote. You see, that's the way the devil does it. He comes along and gives you part of the word instead of all the word. So finish the quote, the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation, but the person of Jesus Christ in you, the same works Performing in you the same works that he did. So the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the person of Christ. Not a sensation, not a jump, not a dance. But the person of Christ performing in you the same works that he did. What works did Jesus do after receiving the Holy Ghost? Well, one thing, he overcame the devil. Amen. He also spoke in tongues. He also prophesied. He also healed the sick. He also cast out devil. It was more than a sensation. Amen. It was more than a good feeling. It was the power of an overcoming life. Amen. Overcoming temptation. Overcoming casting out devils. Overcoming sickness and disease. Now, in the palmer worm, locusts, and caterpillar, Brother Branham said, there is no place in the Bible 
And you, you can find this yourself. No place in the Bible where they ever received the Holy Ghost without having emotions, speaking with tongues, and shouting and praises of God and prophecies and manifestations. They never did just walk up and shake hands with a preacher and walk away. No place. Now, let's carry it a little further on that. He says, now, you can receive the Holy Ghost, and maybe you didn't speak with tongues when you get it. And that's true. You can have the Holy Spirit and not have that manifestation. But he said, if you will just constantly lay there before God all the time with baptism after baptism striking you, something's got to take place. You get so full till you can't talk nothing else. You just try to say something and you can't say it no more and you just can't say it. And many times if people just realize that that was the Holy Spirit, they would just go ahead and just open up their heart and let God speak to them. And he said, I don't want to dishonor a great gift that God has given. I believe that a spirit-filled man or woman or child that lives under the altar of God won't live there long until they'll be speaking with tongues. I believe he will do that or she. Amen. So, you know, that's all I say. Lay under the, under the spirit of God. Lay under the fountain. Till you get so full of the spirit of God. Till it bubbles over, until it fulfills, Joel 2.28. Till it fulfills, Isaiah 28.18. Till it fulfills all the word of God. Come on, everybody. We ought to be a people that seeks to have everything, every promise that God has to be manifested in our lives. Now, Brother Branham would tell you this as he explains it in the fourth seal. And I'm not going to read it, but he said, you know, he makes it clear. It's not a Baptist idea of just believing on the Lord. He said, see, Abraham believed God. It was imputed to him for righteousness. But God gave him a sign of circumcision as a confirmation he had accepted his faith. Faith. So that's the same thing we must do. We must wait on the Holy Spirit till it's done something. Not necessarily because we spoke in tongues, not because we've danced or we got emotional, we shouted, but until we're changed. Until something actually happened. He said, I don't care what form it comes in, just so it happened. That's the main thing. So you see, we're not trying to get somebody, you got to speak in tongues or you got to prophesy. It don't matter what form it comes in, as long as your life has been changed, and you're a different person, and you got overcoming power in you. Come on now, Christ living in you, and his person in your life is greater than having any gift of the Spirit because you can have gifts of the Spirit and not have the Spirit. But the body of believers that has the Spirit will have gifts of the Spirit. But what do you say? Repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. An eternal prescription is for you, it's to your children that will last through every church age. Give it to every one of them. So God wants us all to have that same prescription. Amen. Don't mess with it. Don't be a quack. You see, I want you to say the baptism of the Holy Ghost is much more than a profession of faith. It is the person of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. You know, it's, it's, let me go back. It's much more than just being justified and forgiven of your sin. It's just much more than quit drinking or smoking or doping. It is much more than exercising the gift of the Spirit. It is the person of Christ coming to live and tabernacle on the inside of you so that it ain't you living the life anymore. It ain't you trying anymore. If you're still trying, you're still under the law. But if you're under grace, it's because you have received the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God brings your members, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your mind subject to the Word of God. Hallelujah. And it's your evidence that you're going into rapture. So you see, it's not just a sensation, not just a good feeling, not just an emotion. It's a person of Christ. And though, listen carefully, though it is not a sensation, it don't come without emotion. It never has and it never will. It doesn't come without feeling. It never has and never will. You'll never get the Holy Ghost and not know it. Unless you're doctrinally confused. Then you wonder and ponder. But Brother Branham, after he says this about, you know, the Holy Ghost without sensation, in in God and simplicity as the seals are open, God unfolded himself not in sensations, no, but sensations yet with it. It's not a sensation. Sensation comes with it. Again, the sixth seal. It is an emotion, though emotion accompanies it. See the difference? It's not, it's not the emotion, but emotion does accompany it. And then he says in a paradox, emotion, screaming, crying, and so forth cannot be explained, but it's a paradox how God does it. It's the unseen God dwelling in the human heart, making himself visible by vindicating his word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you see, it's, it's a miracle. He's an emotion, screaming, crying, cannot be explained. It's a paradox, a miracle, how God does it. Now, man can manufacture it, and man can impersonate the sensation. But they can't impersonate the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Because that is God himself coming to tabernacle the human being. Amen. And Brother Bradham said, again, in the world falling apart, you people standing here, they was at the altar. Now, look, don't you rely upon some emotion, although it has emotion in it. Now, the ripened seed, the grain, the mature church will bring Christ back like he was at the beginning, but this time he will be in bride form. So in the mighty God unveiled, Brother Brandon said it's ripe to bring him back just exactly like he was in the beginning. His same ministry, somebody say same ministry. All right, let's try this. The same Jesus. Amen. The same power, 
the same Holy Ghost, the same one that came down on the day of Pentecost. Amen. That is the same Holy Ghost that is manifested today from glory to glory to glory and is now back to its original seed with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the same signs, same signs, same wonders. Amen. Same baptism, same kind of people acting the same way with the same power, the same sensation. It's from glory to glory, and the next will be changed from this glory into a body like his own glorious body, where we shall see him. Hallelujah. He said, Abraham saw this. This is what Abraham saw. This is what Sarah saw. Well, but that's out of church order. Well, Brother Brandon said, I've seen jumping spells and joy spells and nobody was hurt. The mountains rung out and the sun went down and everything took place, but nobody, there was nobody hurt. And I've seen meetings where the power of God was revealed to the people that they were free from the world and the things of the world and the joy of the Lord filled the congregation and they stood and screamed and cried and shouted to the top of their voice for the glory of God. I never did see anything disorderly. They was always right in order because they had recognized that their name had been written on the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah! That's what gives us joy. We recognize. That's why we cry. Abba, Father, 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 I'm your son. I'm not a child of the world. I'm not a child of sin. I'm not a child of unbelief. I'm a child of the living God. Hallelujah. Now, nowhere in the Bible did they just receive the Holy Ghost and not know it. When, but instead, when they were filled with the Spirit, all glorified God. Every time. Here's what they had in common. People, you know, bless their hearts, the Azusa people. It was at, um, in Kansas before it come to Azusa. They had, a, they had a school there, and they were studying the book of Acts, and they were excited, and they were praying that there would be another book of Acts, and they'd get the Holy Ghost like they did in the book of Acts. And they, uh, Brother Parham, I believe it was, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Parham had, had instructed them, now look, I want you to study the Bible and see if there's anything in common. If they all have something in common when they initially receive the Holy Ghost. And so they went to study and, and the students come up with a, what they believed an answer. Three out of the five times that they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues and other languages. So they made this the initial sign that you had been filled with the Holy Ghost 
based on three out of five times the Holy Ghost came that they spoke in tongues. This became a dogma, and it caused people, even, even uh, Daddy Seymour warned them, do not seek for tongues. Seek to receive the Spirit. He said, if I go down to a store and I want a pair of shoes, I don't ask for tongues. I ask for the shoe, and the tongue comes with the shoe. Now, that was the, that was the Pentecostal fathers realizing the fallacy of seeking the gift without the giver. And they went astray anyway, and they built an organization on that, and that became the dogma where that you have Pentecostals who will speak in tongues and they declare, I've got the Holy Ghost and live an ungodly life. Because they had the initial evidence. I'm now saved. Don't you dare bother that either. They, you dare tell them that the Holy Ghost is not the evidence. They'll curse you to their face, to your face. You're not taking that from them. You know, it's their anchor. It's their, it's, it's, it's their tie post. And so this is what they believe. No matter what kind of life they live, just come back and speak in tongues again. We're going to backslide every day. We can't help it. We can't overcome. We can't live the life. You know, we're going, to, we're going to make mistakes like that. And we're just going, hey, if you slip and go back to drink, just come back and speak in tongues. If you go out, you know, backslide long enough, you want, to, you, you want a different husband, backslide a little bit and go out and find you another man and then come back and speak in tongues. You're okay. And that's what happened. But nowhere... Nowhere in the Bible did they speak or did they have the Holy Ghost and not know it. Instead, they were filled with the Spirit. And I want you to get this. All glorified God. And I don't care what language you glorify him in. Here's what you want to see in your life. That your life glorifies Jesus Christ. Well, I, I danced in the spirit, Brother Tim, two hours. I spoke in a, I, I don't care nothing about that. I won't see one thing in your life. Here's the evidence I want to see that from now on, amen, this is your tie post. Your life glorifies Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, so you see, they would speak in other languages. And even when they spoke in other languages, they were heard in those languages glorifying God. It fulfilled the scripture. Peter said it did. How many believes that? It fulfilled, uh, come on. Gee, Peter said, this is that. Don't shut down on me. This is Sunday morning. Amen, and, and we, you know, I preach twice in a week, both times on Sunday. <laughs> Timothy does his hour on, on um, Wednesday night, or Brother Joe or Brother Aaron, they do their hour on Wednesday night. I do my hour Sunday starting somewhere just before 12 and Sunday morning. I do my second hour in the afternoon. 
Now, we could take a break and come back. But we're doing it like this. We're putting them all together. Now, hang on now for me. Don't quit and go home on me. I ain't through. You see, it fulfilled the scripture. Notice the experience had to match the word. Is that right? It fulfilled Joel 2. Peter said it did. This is that which the prophet Joel said. You know where he said, he would pour out his spirit and my sons and daughters shall prophesy. You see, their lives would glorify God. It fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy that with stammering lips and other tongues, the spirit spoke to them, through them to the people. And it took cowards and made them brave. Somebody help me preach. I'm talking about men and women that were hiding up in an upper room come spilling out and they're not ashamed of what has went on. Hallelujah. But they're, they're emboldened by what has went on. Amen. And they are now declaring everywhere that Jesus Christ is alive. He is resurrected from the dead and he's now living in me. It took cowards and made them brave. It took deniers of Christ and made them speak boldly and proclaim Christ. It took a liar like Peter and made him proclaim truth. It cured sin. It took sanctified men and women and filled them with the spirit until they were drunk as if they had taken wine. Now, this is what it did. Now, don't stop it. Don't stop it. That's what I'm saying. Don't stop it. Let it come through. Let it come through. Let it, you know, some people are afraid of the sensation. I'm not afraid of the sensation, but, but go beyond the sensation. Let it go through until you get the Holy Ghost. So I, I prayed till I got a feeling. I'm glad for the feeling. But until your life is changed, keep pressing through. Don't give up. Brother Branham talks about this in the Methodist. He said, Wesley had a revival. The people would fall out on the floor with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they'd pour water in their face and fan them till they'd lay all night on the floor till too bad you had pitchers of waters. You might have come through. He said, Wesley, the Holy Ghost could have fallen before Azusa Street, but they stopped it. He said, too bad you had pitchers of water because if they'd have kept praying, they would have got through. Mm. Amen. They poured water in his face and shake him. Oh, he's fainted. He's fainted. The Holy Ghost working on it. It wasn't the age yet to know these things. In why little Bethlehem, he said, it'd been better if the Methodists looked back to their old days, their good old days, when they were few and far between and little old schoolhouses and out here in America, falling under the power of God, throwing water in their face. It'd be better for you Baptists to look back where you come from too and the rest of them, you Pentecostals, look back where you come from. During a door in, um, in 63, he said, the Methodists were like the Pentecostals, has been a bunch of fanatics. They'd lay in the schoolhouses and fall out under the power of God and pour water on their face. 
And don't tell me I've been right in the meetings. See, if they'd have just let them alone, instead of bringing them back, just let them go on, they would have been Pentecostals. And how kind of overcome, Brother Bradham talks about, this is the age of the personal life. Now, I want to get this. The age of the personal life is not just a restoration of the gift. This is where the life comes. Not the gift, the life. But the life has the gifts. Don't, don't forget, the grain has everything in it. Don't call yourself grains and you say, we don't believe in tongues and gifts of the Spirit. You're not grain. You're back over here in the Baptist age. You hadn't even advanced as far as Azusa Street. You're backslidden that far. Are you with me? But this is the age of life, personal life of Christ, where you must have his life. For he said, we're living in the shadows and the wrath is ready to strike and God is requiring a token that you yourself have received this token, the Holy Ghost, and it is the only way and the only sign that God will ever pass because it is the literal life of Jesus Christ returned back into the believer. So this is it, the literal life. Not a gift of the Spirit. I've explained before, don't have a thing to give. Okay, so if I give a gift of this microphone here to Brother Aaron, you see, that's a gift I gave him. He has a gift in his hand. That's from me. I gave it to him, but that's not me. He can have that gift, but he doesn't have me. Amen? Now, one day at an altar, I'm, I... And a pretty little girl came together. And we stood at an altar and we made vows to each other. And she gave her herself to me as a gift. Now, the two of us became one. There was no longer just one Tim Pruitt. There were two of them. There was Tim in groom form and Tim in bride form. For a long time, you know, she signed her name, Miss Tim Pruitt. Because she had taken on my name. She was identified with me. And the bride of Christ and Christ are one. Amen. They are not one in the sense of one person. They are one because Christ is in them. Amen. So Christ comes into us as a gift. So we receive not, not a gift of the Spirit. That's charismata. You know, we're gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretations, uh, healings, faith. Those are gifts of the Spirit. That's not the Spirit. That are gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit is Jesus Christ himself. The life that was in him poured out at Calvary, come back on the day of Pentecost, and filled 120 in the upper room, and they received the personal life of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Ghost is what it was then that's what it is today and when you receive the Holy Ghost you are receiving deity in your life now so he said it is the literal life of Jesus Christ returned back into the believer now the token message brother Branham told us now, the blood that was shed at Calvary bathed on the ground. We have the token of the blood. 
which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, is to identify us as believers. So it is, and let me just challenge you. Go back and listen to the token message. And when you do hear token, it seems like people get in, it almost makes it an oblivious term. And so they just skim over. Every time you see token, say Holy Ghost. Because the token is the Holy Ghost. And everywhere Brother Branham is saying token, he is talking about the Holy Ghost. So he said, he said now, um, the blood that was shed at Calvary bathed on the ground. Now we have the token of the blood, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost to identify us to, as believers. And these signs shall follow them that believe, not just professors, but identified believers. They may not follow, they probably will, that perhaps they will. Jesus said they shall follow them that believe. Just absolutely impossible for it not to happen. The works that I do shall do also. That's the identification. Jesus' identification was to manifest the word of God, which he was. And the church's identification today is to manifest the promised word of this day by the same spirit that was manifested and quickened the word then. The same spirit quickens the word to the believer today and manifests the same thing, showing that the token, Holy Ghost, is on this person which is the resurrected life of Jesus Christ living in his believer. Oh, that ought to set the church of fire. And that's true, just as true as it could be. The water age, the blood age, and now the token age of the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, Brother Tim, sometimes I wish you'd just preach the message. Well, the evening time message is to apply the token, the Holy Ghost. And the token is the Holy Ghost. First under justification of water baptism, second under the new birth of of, uh, Wesley's sanctification, which cleanses, thirdly under the baptism of the Holy Spirit, put it in that sanctified vessels into service. The word sanctified means it's a compound word, which means cleaned and set aside for service, set aside for service. Now the Holy Spirit puts it in service. And we'll notice when the unclean spirit is gone from a man, he walks in dry places. That's exactly what the church has done. Baptists, Methodists, those who believed in sanctification. Then Jesus said, the unclean spirit that went out returns back to this church body and finds the house garnished, swept clean, and lived pure, living pure, clean lives. But if that house isn't filled and occupied, when he comes in with seven other evil demons worse than he was, and the last stage of this place is seven times worse than it was in the first place. They'd been better to stay Lutheran than it would be to receive that light and fail to follow. So will the Pentecostals. You know what I mean? The house is garnished. I was talking to somebody the other day. Said they're very careful. Many of these holiness groups not to call the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Because they identify themselves with Pentecostals when they do that. They say Holy Spirit. See, to keep them saying Holy Ghost. Because the Pentecostal common people just call it what the Bible says, Holy Ghost. Which Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost is the same thing, but they're careful about it. They don't want to be identified with them tongue-speaking people 
and that's the Holy Spirit itself. See? Oh, Brother Dan, I wish you'd read us a quote after the seals. That was after the seals. What happened then? When the enemy that went out under sanctification, that was washed out and returned back and found the house not filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the church, Methodist, Nazarene, so on. Not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the state of the church is joined with the League of Churches, World, World Council of Churches. It's in a state now that connects it to Roman Catholic, Catholicism, all the rest of it. And now it's seven times worse than it was when it came out of Lutheranism. Brother L can tell you, Brother L can tell you that that's true, that it's, uh, that it's seven times worse than well, the Methodist today than when it came out of Luther. Seven times worse. And the same thing, the same thing happens with any of them when a house, when a church is not filled with the Spirit. Then they become seven times worse because all the sins of the past ages heap up into them until they are the rejectors of Jesus Christ in the Laodicean age. Now, Brother Branham talks about this. He says, it's important that you get filled. You've emptied out. He said, a man confessed Christ as his Savior, got rid of his wickedness, Quit his drinking, quit his smoking, his lying, his stealing. Becomes sanctified and cleaned out. His house is all swept. He feels free. He comes back and he finds that house. Then he goes and gets seven other spirits worse than he was and comes into this person. The Bible said the last state of the man is worse than the first than it was at the beginning. Now, what just happened? An evangelist comes through. They preach repentance. You clean up from your sins. When you cleaned up, the devil goes away from you. You take back the things you stole. You confess your wrongs to your wife or your husband. You really clean up. And then the next thing of it is you're just clean and make a real good target for the devil. Now, after the people believed and were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's divine program. And when you're saved, you might be filled with good thoughts. And so forth. Are you, but unless you are filled with God, God sent the Holy Spirit to the earth to motivate the church. And you might be filled with thoughts. You might be filled with theology. You might be filled with education. A know-it-all. And you might be filled with religion and still be a target of the devil. And you might be reading the Bible. And you see where Jesus performed and done miracles. And you take it to the pastor, and he says, oh, now, look, we don't believe that. He says, we, who's we? Who is we don't believe it? Him and who? It isn't him and God. God wrote it. It's him and somebody else. And if you're behind it, it's the same motive that was at the Tower of Babel. To build a man-made earthly dominion. Now, so you see, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, the world becomes dead. And you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the devil is a person that has to stay away from you. You are under God's domain. You are a new creature. The Holy Spirit come to that empty vessel and filled it up. So that's what every person ought to be. Now don't just come this far and say, well, I believe the message. The devil believes it too. That's only being able to read. You can read that and know it's true. 
and say, I believe it. You must have the token, the Holy Ghost. The very life of Christ must be in you. Now, let me come down to an end because I, I want to just, I just want to finish here on, on this one quote. We'll come around to it. Now, Brother Branham deals with what is sin? Because there are people that don't drink, don't smoke, would never tell you a lie, that are sinners. And I want you to hear what he said about sin. Are you ready? Because if the Holy Ghost comes, he's going to deliver you from sin. All right, listen. Question answers. And he reads the scripture, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. And he says, what is sin? And he explains unbelief. That's what the Bible said. There's only one sin. That's unbelief. That's right. He that believeth not is condemned already. So one will sin. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I believe they might have got the Holy Ghost like that in them days, but I don't believe it's so. But brother, the Bible said to promise you and your children, I know, but, listen, Brother Branham, you are sinning. You are sinning right there. You're disbelieving what God said. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, now we're taught that. He said, I don't care what you're taught. The Bible said, let every man's word be a lie and mine be true. Well, principally, he's the same. Uh, you mean he's the same? Yeah, in the church, doing the same things he did when he was here. Well, I can't believe that. You are sinning. You are sinning. He that's born of God, of the Holy Ghost, don't say those things. And if he says he's got the Holy Ghost and says those those things, that's evidence he hasn't got it. I don't care what he's done. If he don't believe in divine healing, he don't believe in the power of the resurrection, he don't believe in the Holy Ghost being poured out upon us just exactly like it did in the first age, just the same God yesterday, today, and forever, the same things the apostles done happening how now, speaking in tongues and rejoicing and all these other things that they don't believe that, he's not born of God. For whosoever is born of God does not commit those kinds of things. That's how to tell whether they're born of God. You walk up to a fellow and say, Dr. P.H. so-and-so, Reverend Dr. so-and-so, which is fine. He said, I wish I had it, degrees. But is it so divine healing should be carried on the church just like it was the apostles did? Oh, no, no, no. He's sinning. He's an unbeliever. That's right. You say, do you believe we received the Holy Ghost like they did here? I was reading over here in the, in the Bible at Acts 2 where it said they, the, the, they were and poured out the Holy Ghost and they staggered like they were drunk. And they went out and talked in the languages of those people and things like that and acted like people are drunk. And the church thought they were drunk. And we received, when we received the Holy Ghost today in the Baptist church of Baptist uh, or Baptist or Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever it may be. I don't see us doing that. Well, I tell you, child, that was just for them 12. He is a sinning. 
He is not born of the Spirit of God because the Bible said he that's born of the Spirit of God does not disbelieve. He is a believer and he cannot. Why, why? Oh, here it is. The dove is leading him. For the Spirit of God is in him and he cannot deny it. He cannot. It's the Spirit of God. And God won't deny his own word. If I deny my own word, then I become a liar. And if you say you got the Spirit of God and deny the Word of God, it's either God's a liar or you're a liar, one or the other. And the Bible said, let every man's word be a lie and mine be the truth. And a man that's born of the Spirit of God cannot disagree with God's Word. He's got to say it is right. He can't do nothing else. This is it. This is the truth. So he said, let me read it again. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin for the seed. What is the seed? Of God, the promise. Abraham had the seed. What is the seed now? Christ. Is Christ the seed of God? Whose seed is he if he he isn't? All right? He is the seed of God. The seed of God remaineth in him. The Holy Ghost comes to abide. Not from meeting to meeting, but for eternal. And if you want to put that down in your scripture, this, Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. The seed of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. He can't disbelieve God's word. And when you see a man disagreeing with God's word and saying, oh, that was for another age, when the promise is to whosoever will, let him come. Remember, he is an unbeliever and not of God. You see, Nicolaitan, take it, the experience from the people and have something administered only by the preacher. Believe my doctrine, then you got it. Believe what I'm preaching, my revelation, then you got it. Believe Believe me, you know, join the church. Just get baptized. You got it. Nicolaitanism. But we're in the hour of restoration. Hallelujah. Amen. For God said, I will restore, saith the Lord. Sarah, I don't care how long you've disbelieved. I don't care how long you've given up on the promise. I don't care how much bitterness you sit in your tent. I'm not leaving you in that tent in your unbelief. I'm calling you out by the word of God. And there's going to be a renewing in you, a renewing of the Holy Ghost and a refilling of the Spirit. And if I were you, I would get ready to receive it. And I would say, be it unto me according to thy word. Hallelujah. That's the way it ought to be. Amen. That's the way we ought to look at it. This is the hour where the promise is restored. The promise is unto you. Hallelujah to you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to your children, to them that are far off. I don't care how far they stray. I don't care how much a prodigal they are. The promise is to you and to your children and to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he's still calling. And the promises are yours. Praise the Lord. I'm amazed. 